there's more to this life than I thought. And James inspires me. The things he says have encouraged me. It's like there's a walk, there's a path, and it's leading to something more real than I've ever known before, and it's exciting. I get around James and I hear things that help me in my life, my work. This work he talks about has become my work. I am excited about the possibility that other people could be affected, other people could be inspired to work on themselves, to grow, to, to realize there's more to this life. We're going to talk this morning about your path. We hear a lot of talk about the path to enlightenment, the path to freedom or liberation, escape from this prison that we're in, all the other things that they talk about. And really, is there such a path? And if so, does each person have his own path? And how does that person find that path, if indeed there is such a thing? If there is a path, does each person have a way to walk on that path? If there is one way, then what is your access to that one way? What is your door to that one way? Where is that? How do you find it? And is it even is it even something that's real? To make matters worse, a lot of people are claiming the path that they know is the true path. We find this all the time. Look at all of the religions. They're all the true religion, every single one of them. And what are all the other ones to them? Well, they're all the fake religions. They're the false religions. They're the ones that don't work. So everybody has their own path. They know the true path, the only path, the right path, the shortest path, whatever. There's some who will say, well, no, those are all paths and all roads that lead to God are good and all roads lead to God. But our road is better because it's shorter or our road is better because it's kinder or our road is better because it's more loving or our road is better because it does this or does that, whatever. So it begins to look like this great maze in which we're lost trying to find a way out. Where's the path? Where's the way out of this maze? Think of the maze in, uh, like, what was it? The Shining. Remember that? <laughs> Where he got stuck in that maze, he couldn't find his way out. It was snowing and cold and freezing. And, you know, that's a great place to freeze to death. You know, you get lost in that maze. And, you know, if you look at people in life, you'll see that people are lost in a maze and they do die in the maze, never finding anything real, never finding the way out. And it happens all the time. And most of your life has been passed in the maze. You've been doing things and thinking they would turn out this way, and then it turned out that way. It's like, but I thought this was the path. And then you find out, well, but what? it isn't. It isn't. It's a dead end. It stopped. Now I have to go back and try and find, and how am I going to know? And la, 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 la. So it helps to have a map. So the work exacerbates the problem by asking us who we are. Okay, well, who are you? Well, if you have a path, and you do, then all you have to do is find out who you are. Well, wait a second. What do you mean by that? Well, who we think we are isn't who we are. That's what the work says. So that really exacerbates the problem. So if we don't know who we are, how can we know our path? And this is a huge problem for us because we don't know who we are, but we want to know our path, and we think that by finding our path, we'll find out who we are. That's what we think. So let's make it easy and break ourselves into three. Essence, personality, and the false personality that it's attached to the personality. So I want you to see that you are three. Your essential self, what you mean, your purpose, what you're created as, who you actually are, the most real part of you. So there's that. And then there's the personality, this thing that coated you in life. And then there's the false personality that attaches itself to the personality, kind of like a tumor, a tumor or a second head, something like that. So it's like a two-headed calf. Or look at it any way you want, but those are some examples of how you might consider it. Essence is that with which you were born. Your personality is that which we acquire through contact with life. We'll speak of false personality later. Essence is under the law of fate. Well, personality is under the law of accident. So if you are identified with your personality, what law are you going to be under? 
under the law of accent. No, it's okay. You have to really pay attention. It's hard because these are questions and it's like not A or B. It's like this or that. Which is it? You know, this will give you an idea of just how out of touch you are with what we're talking about. It's how hard it is to concentrate. Maybe you'll be able to concentrate a little bit better. As long as personality is ascendant, we don't follow the law of fate. There's no path for us to follow. Why is that? Because the law of accident is the maze. Do you see that we are in the maze now, which means we are following the law of accident. We are under the law of accident because we think we are our personality. This is basically what the work teaches, and you will either find it to be true or you will not find it to be true based on your own experimentations through self-observation. So as you begin to look at what it is that you are, how you behave, the kinds of things you think, the kinds of things you feel, as you begin to look at that and you begin to look at your patterns objectively through proper self-observation, without judgment, without condemnation, you begin to see what you are, what you have taken yourself to be. Not what you are actually, but what you have taken yourself to be. Where your feeling of I has flowed into. It's like a jello mold and your feeling of I is like the jello and that's flowed down into this mold of false personality or a personality and then it's formed and it's set and so even though it's kind of wiggly it's still set it still looks like a fish or it looks like one of those cakes or whatever they put the molds in you know they they have them look like all kinds of different things so whatever it is it looks like that but if you apply heat to it it starts to melt it starts to turn to liquid again and so it doesn't hold in the shape of the mold well that's what we're trying to do we're trying to apply the the light and the heat of consciousness to the personality and the false personality so that it can start to lose its shape, so it starts to lose its form, so we don't believe in it so much, so that it doesn't run us so much, so that it's not as active. And then it gives an opportunity for essence to become active instead of passive as personality becomes passive. If we're conscious in essence, we might follow our essential path. So this, there is a path for you, and if you are conscious in essence you might follow that path. Will you follow that path? Well, we don't know that. You're not conscious in essence at the moment. So what's there to talk about? So this is all theory right now. Saying that we're conscious in essence is not the same thing as being conscious in essence. A person in false personality is very far from his fate. Maurice Nicole said, one of the greatest experiences of this work, after you've been in it for a long time and held on to it internally, is that you find yourself shifted from what you thought you were and literally told not to be that kind of person. This is the amazing thing about this. When you begin to shift out of your false personality, out of your personality, into your essential self, the world has already told you not to be that. The world has already barred the door. The world has already made that wrong. Society has made it wrong. Your parents made it wrong. Everything has made it wrong. You have made it wrong. You have accepted or acquired their acquired conscience about what is good and what is bad. And now you think that who you really are is wrong. And it is as long as you are in false personality. It's only when you begin to get out of false personality or when you trust something else rather than life as the neutralizing force. If you use the work as the neutralizing force in your life, then a shift can occur. But it's a very difficult shift because the entire world, the whole planet is against you. And you may have a little group like this who's willing to support you in this. You may have only contact with one person in the whole world who is willing to support you in this. That's not unheard of. Just one person. You know one person in the whole world who you think, 
you know, I think this guy really does support me in this. I think this guy really does support me in this and will support me in finding my way in this. That could be a little scary, don't you think? Going against the world, going against everything and everybody. Well, if you didn't think that, you would probably spend a little more time in essence and a little less time in false personality. What good would it be to try to change yourself if there weren't something waiting into which you could change? It's not like, well, I've got to make this thing. No, there is something waiting for you. Your essential self is waiting for you. It's waiting for you to change into it. It's just like your wardrobe at home. When you go home, there are clothes waiting for you to change into if you wish to do that. So they're just waiting there. They're in the closet waiting. They're in the dark waiting. Essence is in the dark waiting, waiting for you to become aware of it, to turn the lights on and to change into it, to shift into it, to start to make the move toward it. False personality is saying no. Your clothes are wearing you. Your overcoats are wearing you. False personality is making you move. False personality is making you talk. False personality is making you hear what you hear, see what you see, taste what you taste, smell what you smell, think what you think, feel what you feel. That's all being done for you by the clothes that you're wearing, meaning the false personality. But underneath that is the real you. That's what we're trying to shift into. Underneath that is the essential you. That's what we're trying to shift into. False personality gives you an entirely wrong feeling of I, of yourself, causing you to put yourself into situations that don't belong to you, having nothing to do with you, essentially. This is what it means to be under the law of accident. You feel yourself in the wrong place as the wrong person, and so you do things that that person would do, that have nothing whatever to do with what you, essentially, would do. You see what I'm saying? It means that the things that you've acquired, the personality that you've acquired from all the people that you acquired it from, that you imitated in life, that's not you. That covered you up. That put overcoats over you so that you could no longer be perceived, so that you could no longer be seen, so that you lost touch with that part of yourself. And your feeling of I, your identity, went into the overcoats, went into the things that you acquired from all these other people through imitation because you needed to survive in this planet. Remember, personality is necessary. You have to have it. It has to happen. This is part of the process. It's like an egg. If you look at an egg, there are two parts, or three parts. There's the shell, but then inside the shell, well, there are even more parts, but there's the yolk, and then there's the white. And one eats the other. One grows into whatever the idea is for that egg. So if it's a duck egg, one grows into a duck. If it's a chicken egg, it grows into a chicken. If it's an eagle, it grows into an eagle or a reptile. Whatever the idea of that egg is, whatever the idea encoded in that is, that's what it's going to grow into. And one part will eat the other part. This is the same thing with personality and essence. Only the problem is, is the wrong part is eating the wrong part. False personality is eating essence instead of essence eating false personality. That's the shift that we have to make. And it's a very difficult shift to make because we're hypnotized, we're asleep, and life is moving us down the conveyor belt toward the end because life wants to reap us. So with this wrong feeling of ourselves, we end up putting ourselves in situations in which we do not belong in which the more real of us does not belong and would not be if we were in touch with that. So self-observation then is to free you from this wrong thing that you've taken to be yourself, and it tortures you all of your days. You see, this wrong thing that you've taken to be yourself, it is what is torturing you. The email that I read to you this morning, that man is being tortured by his false personality. He imagines that it's someone else doing it to him. His pain is so great. His anxiety is so great. His violence and his negativity and his hatred is so great that now it's not enough that it's just me doing it to him. Now it's Connie doing it to him as well. 
And soon it will be all of you. And then soon it will be all of the work. And then soon it will be all esotericism. And then soon it will be this one and that one. It just continues to grow. Why? Because you can never kill enough. You can never destroy enough. When you're negative, you can never hate enough. You can never bash enough. You have to keep on bashing more and more. Why? Because you're in fear and negativity and it leads down to violence and murder and hatred. That's why. There's no end to it. It has to be continued. Whereas peace is a whole other thing, isn't it? Peace is just an entirely different thing. You don't have to do anything about peace. You just have to rest in it. And the slightest thing will chase it away. The slightest movement on your part will chase it away. Peace is like a bird that flies in the window. And if you sit there, the bird may come and light on you, and then you have peace. But if you try and grab the bird, it'll fly away. If you make a sudden movement, it'll fly away. So peace is like that. It's something you have to allow. Whereas negativity is something that you are in control of. And that's why we do it. Because the false personality wants to be in control. It wants to exercise its power and might and intellect. It wants to exercise its intellectual story. It wants to exercise its story. It wants to make its story right. It wants to make itself right. Which means the whole world has to die. The whole world has to be destroyed. Everything has to be destroyed. Because the only way the false personality will handle this is you've got to be the last man standing. The false personality will not make treaties. If it makes a treaty, there will be a backdoor to the treaty so that it can find a way out to make war with that person at a certain time. This is why love turns to hate so rapidly. Because it's a treaty. We'll be at peace as long as you do this and as long as I do that. But the moment that you do something else, we're at war. That's what love is on our planet, unfortunately. Getting free from yourself begins with making false personality more and more passive, not identifying with it. But we identify with it all the time. It's so hard to make it passive because we think we are it. So it's like making yourself passive. What does that mean, to make yourself passive? It means to die. Making false personality passive means you're dying. You are losing yourself. You are losing your identity. It's terrifying. It may not be terrifying right now. The reason it's not terrifying right now is because you're not doing it right now. But when it starts to happen, it can be pretty terrifying. When you start to come to terms with the fact that you have no defenses against life without your false personality, that you're no longer the one defending yourself, that you're no longer the one putting up the walls, that you're no longer the one getting to decide what people can say and do and think and blah, blah, blah about you. Although we know that we can't really control what people think about us, We know we can't really control it, but we imagine that we can, don't we? We imagine that we can put forth this image and be nice and pretend, and we can imagine we can make them think nice things about us. We imagine we can make them think bad things about us. People imagine all day long that they can make me think bad things of them. People imagine all day long that they can make me not like them. It's hilarious, really. It's like, there's no way that I'm going to give the power of love and self-control over to another human being so that they can decide whether or not I'm going to love them. My nature is to love. I'm happy and I'm at peace and I'm centered when I'm doing what is natural to me, which is to love. Someone wants to come along and tell me that I can't love them because they behave this way or that way and I'm supposed to have judgments about it and not love them. It's like, I'm not giving that up. I'm not giving up what I have found, who I am, what I know for someone's ignorance. I'm not going to do it. So the person who writes the hate mail, well, how can you still love the person? Well, it's easy. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. This person is a machine, just a violent, negative machine that's going haywire. And it really doesn't know what it's doing. It truly does not know what it's doing. It thinks it knows what it's doing, but it doesn't. And all you have to do is examine your own machine and see that. And when you do that and see that about yourself, you realize that you do have a choice. You see that you don't have to go with that. I don't have to go with that. Now, for that machine, they have to go with that right now. 
maybe they'll be lucky. Maybe they'll get a conscious shock. Maybe it'll be like the prodigal son who was off in a foreign land. What does that mean? Off in a place that was not his own off in a foreign land. He was, he was not at home. He was not in his real essential self. He was in some mad, crazy selves, some eyes that were lost. And so he was feeding pigs. And as he was feeding the pigs, he got hungry and he thought, I, I, and he longed to eat the pig's food. And then he said, wait, he remembered himself. He came to himself, it says. The story says, and he came to himself. What that means is he came out of this false personality into his essential self. He shifted a little bit and he remembered, wait, my father has a whole household and lots of food and I could go and be, his servants eat better than I'm eating. I should go back to my father. I'll just tell him, I'm sorry, I've sinned against you. Let me be your servant. Everything I did was wrong. Let me be your servant. See, that's coming to yourself. You humble yourself. You realize, oh my God, this thing that's been running me, is just wicked. It's just this wicked, unconscious, violent, hateful thing. And it's running out of fear and negativity. And I don't want to go with that anymore. And so you start your way back home. Then you found your path, haven't you? So how we get free from ourselves is we, we begin by making the false personality more passive, not identifying with it. But, but how do you do that? You, you may be a very good carpenter. That's nothing to get rid of. So that's in personality. You may be a very good electrician. It's nothing to get rid of. That's good. That's in personality. So you keep that. You may be very good with computers. Good. Keep that. You may be very good painting. Good. Keep that. You may be very, very good... <laughs> You're good at everything, Diana, so you keep, keep it all. You know, don't change a thing. Just be yourself. You're perfect the way you are. But the thing is, is, it's when you start to think you're the best carpenter in the world or the best electrician in the world or the best artist in the world or the best computer programmer in the world or the best whatever in the world. When that happens, you're changing something. That's when false personality arises. When you start to think you're the best at something, instead of just what you're good at it, well, yes, I do this well. When you start to think you're the best at it, then you see that everyone else is not the best. Now you see that something has to be protected. Your bestness has to be protected. So now false personality has arisen. Now the beast is alive. And when does that beast start to breathe? Very early in life. Very early. Why? Because we learn it from the beasts around us. Be the best. Did you ever hear that? Try harder. And all the stuff that goes along with it. We won't even talk about it anymore. It's enough. You develop a picture of yourself as the best carpenter, the best electrician, the best artist, the best computer programmer. And then we begin to be tortured by this picture. If you're the best or not, doesn't matter at all. Let's say you actually are the best. Let's say, who is that swimmer guy that did the Chinese Olympics? Yeah, Michael Phelps. Michael Phelps, he was the best, was he not? The whole world got together, and everybody that was there, everybody that got to that, got to swim. And he was the best, so he got to be the best. So whether you're the best or not the best doesn't matter. Whether you can prove you're the best or can't prove you're the best, it doesn't matter. It's the fact that this picture has taken over now. That's the problem. False personality centers on what you're not good at. The truth is that false personality isn't concerned with what you're good at. It's looking at what you're not good at. That's what it centers on. That's what it focuses on, what you want to be good at. So, for example, I remember back in the 70s, there was an actor, I'm sure he's still an actor, George Siegel, and he was set to be a superstar, you know, to be like Jack Nicholson or whomever, one of those guys who makes it, you know, and people go, yeah, there's an actor's actor. George Siegel was set to be one of those guys, but somehow he missed the boat. Something happened. And, you know, I saw him one time on a talk show, and here he was, you know, just at the peak of his career, really doing well. And instead of being the actor, the superstar that everybody wanted him to be, he wanted to play the banjo and sing a song. 
He got on this show and he played the banjo and he sang this song and it was horrible. It was horrible. You know, I just went, oh my God, this is horrible. This guy could not get away with this if he wasn't George Siegel. <laughs> it's a horrible thing to be saying about a guy. I should have used somebody else's name, but the truth was is that that's what he wanted to do. Now, how many actors do you see who want to be something else? They make it, but then they don't like it. They want to be something else. Well, I'd really rather do this or I'd really rather do that. And so some of them try to parlay their acting popularity or their acting image into something else because they don't really like it, because they don't really want to do it. How many actors turn to directors? How many good actors then end up being directors? They don't want to be actors anymore. They now want to be directors. Why? Because they know more, because they see more. And more often than not, because they do not need their ego stroked and limelighted as much as they did. The ego starts to get satiated. They start to see all the other stuff that goes along with it. All the stalking, all the paparazzi, all the this, all the that, all the, the love letters from you know men and women who want to marry them because they don't know them, because they think they're somebody on the screen, because they think they're perfect, or because they're obsessed. So these guys go, oh, yeah, wait a second, I'd rather be a director. Or I'd rather be a producer. I'd rather be this and I'd rather be that. You remember Meathead from uh, the Archie Bunker thing? All in the Family, is that what it was? You remember Meathead? What's he now? He's a producer, you know, a director, producer. He's behind the scenes. He's not doing that. He's not doing the acting thing anymore. A lot of guys like that. And it's because they get to the point where it's like, okay, that's enough of that. They start to get more real. We develop these pictures of ourselves as the best at whatever it is. And then that picture tortures us. It really does, because it makes us do things. It makes us then prove to everyone else that we're the best. It makes us defend ourselves against any contenders who may be good or better. And it's a horrible thing that happens, but it does happen. So poor George, George Siegel, I remember he was playing the banjo and singing Yama Yama Man, this obscure, weird song from the turn of the century. And it was just not good. And the Yama Yama Man was this, I don't know what it was, this thing, like a boogeyman. And he was singing this song about the Yama Yama. It's a horrible song. It was just a horrible, the whole thing was horrible. Pretending to be what you're not will not bring you to the law of fate, but it will keep you under the law of accident. So for us, pretending to be something that we're not keeps us in pretense. It keeps us in the false personality. But being what you actually are is the only thing that can ever bring you under the law of your own fate. But the thing is, is what we actually are isn't good enough for us. That's what happened. What happened is people in life told you that wasn't good enough. You can't be like that. You've got to be like this. So you started imitating them to survive. And your false personality then came to pass. Your personality started to develop, and then your false personality attached itself to that, like a tumor, like a cancer, and started to eat. And it'll eat through your personality, and it'll eat through your essence. It'll eat through everything, if you allow it. It will never lead to any growth of essence. If we lived more under the influence of essence and real personality, apart from false personality, our lives would be very different from those who follow false personality. Already, your lives are very different from the people you know in life. Like the story you just told about the guy at work who said, well, we have to have an accounting from our pastor of how he spends his money and how much he gets paid and what he spends his money on. And, and we have to know. And he said, well, okay, well, so I pay you money, so then I should know where you're spending your money, right? Then what you do to him, I should be able to do to you. And the guy went ballistic. No! No, that's just not right. I'm not willing to let you do that. But it's like, but we expect... The people that we pay, we expect them to give an accounting. Isn't that the truth? We really want to know what they're doing. Well, what are you doing? Well, look, I know that your boss, you look at your employees, they got a nicer car than you or they got a nicer house than you. You go, wait a second, I must be paying this guy too much. There's something wrong here. This is how we are. And if you say you're not, well, then, okay, 
Well, I'll, I'll accept that if that's what you want to say. But I think it's more important to find out what's real, to find out what's true, than it is to defend your false personality or your pictures of yourself or your image of yourself. But that's up to you. You do what you want. I don't have a need to attack that. There is no path to follow until we can distinguish between what's real and what's false. To do this, we must each observe ourselves. You can't follow a path if you can't tell what's real and what's false. Your false personality wants to follow one path. Surely you can see this. You can see that your false personality wants to go this way. It wants to go down into negative emotions. It wants to be mechanical. It wants to give in to lust and all kinds of desires. and play. But you're, the, the real part of you, the more real part of you, that says, you know, that doesn't work out for me. I've tried that. That doesn't work. There's nothing down that road for me. But often you'll find out you're halfway down that road. The false personality took you down that road while that other part of you was sleeping. This is how it works. This is how we get under the law of accident. We must gradually observe how we speak, how we behave. If we're sincere, after years, we'll be surprised we could have said this or behaved like, look at the things that you now look back on in your life and you wince. You just wince. It's like, oh, God. Oh, well, I just got to let it go. It'll kill me if I don't let it go. So you just got to let it go. You can't identify with it anymore. If you identify with it, it drags you down. So you just say, okay, I blew it. I got to just let it go. (laughs) I know you've all got them. You've all got them. We've all got them. When we just thought, oh, why did I do that? What a stupid thing to say. God, how come I, oh, man. I'd rather cut my tongue out than ever say that again. I'd rather cut my hand off than ever do that again. I'd rather cut my foot off than ever go there again. I'd rather pluck my eye out than ever look at that again. And so now you have some kind of an understanding of the esoteric idea of if your right hand offends you, cut it off and cast it away from you. If your foot offends you, cut it off, cast it away from you. If your eye offends you, pluck it out and cast it away from you. You start to understand that being offended means being dragged down the wrong path. It is offending you. It is offending who you really are. Your false personality is an offense to you, to your essential self. So make it passive. Put it away from you. That's what this work is teaching. That's what Christianity is teaching. That's what esoteric Christianity teaches. That's what all esotericism teaches. That's what it teaches. That's what this is about. Finding your true path is finding your true self. Your self is your path. You can't imagine the liberation that comes from becoming more and more free from what is not ours, what false personality has acquired. You have a taste of the freedom, but you can't imagine what it's really like. You can't imagine what complete liberation is like. It's not imaginable. It's only experienceable. I know that's not a word, but it it can only be experienced. It can't be imagined. Look at how uptight people are. Just look at the world and how uptight people are, just in general. Just simple little things. Cut in front of somebody in line. (laughs) Try that. Or somebody cuts in front of you in line. Look how uptight you get. You know, I just kind of, we were somewhere the other day, and there was a lady waiting, and we were buying something the other day. and, And Connie said, well, go ahead. She just had this bottle of for a fruit drink. We were talking to her in line, and the guy was really slow. And but he was a, a really sweet guy, you know, very personable. But he was challenged because he'd had a motorcycle accident, had a lot of head injuries, a lot of injuries. So he was challenged physically and mentally. But he was sharp as a tack, emotionally and sweet as he could be. And I've seen him before and talked to him before. And I usually spend some time talking to him while he's doing what he's doing. And he's got this little patter that he does. He's got all these little cliches and sayings that he says. Do you want a bag or do you want to save a plastic tree? You know, things like that. He just, he's sweet. I spend time with him and he'll go, do you want your receipt? You're, and he'll have your change in his hand. Do you want your receipt or do you want $46? Your receipt will cost you $46. I say, I'll take both, you know. <laughs> he doesn't know what to say. He goes, well, do you want your receipt? It's either or. And I say, I'll take both. We were chatting with him, and Connie said, well, you know, to this lady, go ahead, because she only had this one thing. Because we only had a couple things, too, but 
she was go ahead because the woman was ready to leave. She was I'm just going to put this back and leave. So she was all uptight. We're like looking forward to talking to this guy and we're happy. You know, we're just happy to be there, happy to be alive. It's like, hey, look, we're alive. You know, like here we are. And you can buy things that can give these people dirty paper and they give you things that you can use. You know, how cool is that? So, so we're doing that, you know, and they're collecting the dirty paper and going, oh, we have dirty paper. And I think, Great. I hope you can use that for something, you know. Yeah, we have dirty paper. Oh, we want more dirty paper. You know, it's like, okay, great. Well, you can have the dirty paper. I mean, I think this is worth more than the dirty paper, so I'll take this. So I took the things that I thought were more than the dirty paper. I gave them the dirty paper, and I took the things that I'll be able to use. So we're happy. So Connie lets this lady go ahead. Oh, thank you. Oh, no. You go, go ahead. Will you, lady? Just go. So she goes, and that's that. But then we're talking to the guy, and Connie says to me, all these people are fuming behind us. We're taking too long. I said, I don't care. That's their problem. That's not my problem. If they choose to be negative and fume, then that's their business. But you can't let everybody in the world go ahead of you. Or you can. And the way that works is you just leave everything there and leave. But you see... I'm not doing that. I'm a player in life. So if you're going to be negative, then go ahead. You have my permission. You have my blessing. You have my unconditional support and love. Be as negative as you'd like to be. If you want to call me names and you want to say wicked, evil, slanderous things about me, go right ahead. Go ahead. You have my blessing. Enjoy yourself. If it feels good, do it. If that's your path, you're putting yourself under the law of accident and the hammer will drop on you. And when it does, you'll blame it on somebody because that will be the habit that you have developed. Who lives their lives lightly with few duties? Look at the world. Who lives their lives lightly with few duties? I'll tell you who. Bums. People who push shopping carts around. Homeless people live their lives lightly with few duties. That's what the world says about people who live their lives lightly with few duties. Yet Buddha said in his Metta Sutta, live lightly with few duties. Why? Because there's something more important than the false personality. There's something more important than the path of the world, the path of the false personality. And if you want to find your path, then you're going to have to withdraw from that path because you can only walk one path at a time. How long will you go halting along with two separate opinions? One of the prophets said, if God is God, serve God. If Baal is God, serve Baal. Make up your mind and do one or the other. You find yourself shifted from what you thought you were and literally told not to be that kind of person. That's the kind of person who lives life lightly with few duties. The kind of person has shifted himself from what he thought he was to what he's told literally not to be like by life. We have to relax because by relaxing we understand. This is why Buddha's cousin Ananda did what he did. See, Ananda, Buddha's cousin and his attendant. And basically, the story of Ananda, some of you will remember this, some of you will not. The story of Ananda was that when Buddha died, Ananda was one of the only ones who was all weepy and mourned his loss. All the Arats looked at him and said, he's unenlightened. You know, he doesn't understand, he's unenlightened. But he loved so much, and Buddha mentioned him more than any other disciple. He used him as example of kindness and love more than any other disciple. Yet, he was unenlightened. He did not have the understanding that the rest of them had. So in the first conference, when they were gathering together all of Buddha's sayings and all of his discourses, Ananda had memorized them all. They had to rely so heavily on him because he was Buddha's attendant and he saw everything and heard everything, had an incredible memory, and he had it all memorized. It was not unconscious. It was not subconscious. He had access to all of it, and he could recite it at will. And that's why we have what we have today, because of Ananda. Well, when they had this conference, they weren't going to allow Ananda in it, because he was not 
enlightened because he hadn't reached the level of arat. So what he did was he said, well, okay, well, then I'll, I'll meditate. Because he had attended to Buddha all the time. He didn't meditate as much as the rest of them. So he said, well, okay, I'll meditate. So he meditated through the night, and he did not gain enlightenment. And so he said, he didn't say this, but I would say this. Yeah, screw it. He went and just went to sleep. He just said, forget it. it was, dawn was coming. So he just laid his head on the pillow, went to sleep, and he woke up enlightened. Why? Because he finally let go. Because he relaxed. Because when you relax, you understand. Relaxing the body is very good, but the ultimate is to relax from the picture of yourself, from the false personality, from the pretense, from the facade that we're living. Relax from that. Let go of that. Relax. Let go. When you relax your mind, you relax your pictures. You relax this death grip, this white-knuckling hold we have on how we have to control life, how everything has to be. I've got to reach enlightenment now. I've got to do this. I've got to get that. I've got to, got to, got to. That's not relax. That's not living lightly with few duties. It's this that conducts all the wrong influences and experiences involving us in things which do not belong to our path, our fate, our essential life. What is it? It's this false personality that we need to relax from that is conducting all of these influences into our lives that do not belong to us. Look at the influences that false personality conducts into your life. Look at the people that you have gotten involved with because of false personality. Look at the things you've gotten yourself into because of false personality. Look at the agreements you've made because of false personality. Look at the car you're driving. Or things that you have that you wish you didn't have now. You look at it and you say, well, I'd rather have the dirty paper than that now. Because you see that all it was was just something to massage your false personality, to massage your ego. And you see how fruitless it is when you start to come to yourself. You see that's how silly that is. It's like, geez, I don't need that. You get it? So start to relax all that stuff and all that starts to fall away. We must ask ourselves, why am I behaving this way? What's wrong with me? It's not about them. It's not about what those people are doing. Who cares what he's doing with his money? Who cares how much money he makes? Who cares how he gets it? It's not about them. What are you behaving this way for? Why are you being hateful and negative? Why are you being judgmental? Why are you trying to insist that someone else should be some other way? What's wrong with you? That's what this work is about. It's not about them. This will lead to relaxation of the mind and the wrong ideas that it has. See, the mind is constantly giving you these wrong ideas because it has wrong ideas of you. It thinks you are something that you are not. It thinks that you are something that you have acquired that is not really yours. When all that is not yours is stripped away, when everything that you were not born with was taken away, what will you have? You came into the world naked. You will go out of the world naked and with nothing. So what you go out with will be yours. Now think about what you are clinging to, what you think is yours now. It's not what you're going out with, but you don't want to relax your grip on it. What this work says is relax your grip on it. Relax. When you do that, you'll find inner peace. In life, everyone is being something they're not. Cars, houses, makeup, clubs, acts, roles, all reflect this. Everyone is being something that they're not. They're all pretending to be something that they're not. A little genuine self-observation and sincerity leads you to think, what am I doing? Sincere observing eye will ask you, what are you pretending to be? Well, I have to ask myself, what am I pretending to be with these podcasts? Well, I'm not pretending to be anything. I'm just sharing what I found. If I could pretend to be something, I'm sure I'd do better. I'm sure fewer people would send me hate mails. I'm sure more people would be happy about what I'm doing. But the truth is, is I don't really care because it's not about them. It's about me. I'm behaving in the most authentic, real way that I know how to behave. That's it. I don't have anything to pretend about. Why? What are you going to do? Give me some dirty paper? Probably not. Most people don't. So why bother? 
What are you going to do? Say nice things about me? I don't listen to them any more than I listen to the not nice things. I have to listen to what self-observation tells me about me. Why would I listen to something that didn't go along with that? If you sincerely, genuinely observe yourself and see what you actually are, what does it matter what other people think or say? It doesn't matter at all because you've seen it for yourself. And when you see for yourself what they say, either good or bad doesn't matter because you know. When you know yourself, you don't need someone else's opinion about you one way or the other. So there's no reason to pretend so you can relax all that. Actually, it's very liberating. I recommend it. This will begin your shift toward essence and what you are really like will become more and more clear to you. And it will, as it already is. What you are really like is becoming more clear to you. And what you are really like now is mostly false. And that's becoming more and more clear to you. And as it becomes more and more clear to you, and as you let it go and relax, then who you really are will start to rise up and become more and more clear to you. And that shift will occur. And then you're on your way. Often the practical application of these ideas sounds like it's going to be easy. The ideas sound great. When we actually run into a situation or a person who's being a little more difficult than we'd like, we find it's not as easy as we thought it was going to be. If you've hit a snag with some aspect of this work and its practical application in your everyday life, I invite you to write James at SolidRockVista.com. Sometimes a fresh perspective is all it takes to get us back on the right track.